Hey everyone, and welcome to Between the Lines with Ogo J, where we go between the lines of your favorite books and mine. Welcome back, or welcome, if you have not been here before. This is season two of Between the Lines, and I am so excited for all I have in store for you guys this season. I have been wanting to really get back into doing book discussions, larger book discussions, more meet the authors, and a lot more interactive content for you guys. Season one ended around fall of last year. One, because I usually get busier at work around Q3, Q4, but also because I really wanted to take some time to reflect and you know, align myself with my value for this podcast. I really, you know, enjoyed this podcast season one. There was a lot of things that I really liked about it. There was a lot of things that were just really scary when it comes to putting myself out there. And this was the first time that I've tried to really start a platform of any kind. So I'm really, you know, excited that now I've kind of gotten a little bit more comfortable. I've gotten a little bit more used to being behind the mic and I'm just ready to hit the ground rolling this season. Like I said, I have a lot in store for you guys, a lot of different kind of content and really trying to take this podcast to the next level just in terms of getting between these lines. So for the first episode of this season, I wanted to do kind of an in-depth meet your host. And I wanted to do this partially because I I didn't really do anything like this in season one. Of course, I had some videos explaining, you know, why I wanted to do this podcast and what I would be doing on this podcast. But I never really introduced you guys to myself, and not that I really needed to, but I have the books that can help do that. So I wanted to use a book that I really enjoyed as, you know, a foundation for this episode. This is a book that I usually give as gifts to people a lot, especially people who have just graduated, people who are trying to figure out their next career move, and people who are just overall really trying to you know, expand their personal and professional development. This book has been a real help to me in that area. So I thought I would it would be great to introduce that book to you guys and kind of explain myself through the book. And you guys will understand when I tell you guys what the book is. So let's get into it. So the book that we are referencing on today's episode is called Strengths Finder 2.0 from Gallup and Tom Rath. That's right, we're starting off this season on the personal and professional development tip. So I've always been an advocate for the use of skills and strength assessments just to be able to put into words what your skills are. I know a lot of people kind of have a hard time describing their strengths with confidence, describing the things that they're good at with confidence. Because while we might know the skills that we are keen to, sometimes we just don't have the words, you know, what is the word or the skill that encompasses that character trait? And I think using skills assessments, using strength assessments like these have been really, you know, helpful in my career, whether it's for putting together my cover letters or being prepared to talk myself up in a networking or interview situation, being able to reference, you know, have reference to things that 
explain and describe my character traits in a professional setting or in a team setting has been very, very helpful for me. So I wanted to use this book to describe the importance of using different strengths and skills assessments to know your own strengths and skills. And also I wanted to give you guys a couple of the skills and strength assessments that I've used, including the Clifton Strengths Assessment that is in this book, Strength Finders 2.0, and another very popular one that a lot of people know of, which is Myers Briggs. So the Clifton Strengths Assessment was first developed by Gallup, which is an analytics and advisory company in 2001. And they developed this assessment after having this poll of a bunch of people worldwide. And they wanted to know which people felt more engaged at work. And the results were staggering. They have found that if your manager primarily ignores you, then the chances of you being actively disengaged from work are 40%. If your manager primarily focuses on your weaknesses, the chances of you being actively disengaged are 22%. And if your manager primarily focuses on your strengths, the chances of you being actively disengaged are 1%. So the idea is that being and feeling engaged in the work that you do is directly correlated to how much you are able to use your strengths and how much your strengths are focused in your day-to-day job. They posed this statement. The statement was, at work, I have the opportunity to do what I do best every day. So they wanted to see how many people were working jobs where they felt that as though that they can do the things that they love or the things that they do best every single day for work. And from this information that they gathered from the study, they really wanted to know why there is this emphasis on focusing on your weaknesses rather than focusing on your strengths. And they used this story um, of a movie actually that was called Rudy. And in this movie, there was this guy named Rudy. He was like five, six, 165 pounds. And he dreamed of playing football at Notre Dame. We all know Notre Dame is a really good football school. And of course, five, six, 165 pounds is not, that's like my size. (laughs) That might be exactly my size. So he, he worked on the field. He was like a groundskeeper at Notre Dame and he trained and worked so hard for two years. He was rejected from the school twice So he was rejected twice, then he ended up getting in on the third shot and he was, he was allowed to practice with the football team, but he wasn't like allowed to like play at the games. You know, he was, he was like not even on the sidelines. He was like just allowed to practice with them. And he would go to these daily practices and take these heavy beatings from these huge football players and during his senior year, so this was after trying and doing all of this for two seasons, during the final game of his senior year, in the last moments of the game, when Notre Dame had this victory safely in hand, Rudy's teammates, you know, got their coach to put him into the game. And in the final seconds, the coach sent Rudy in for a single play and he tackled the opposing team's quarterback. 
And this was this dramatic moment. He was like this instant hero, this rags to riches, you know, type story. He was, you know, people were chanting. He was invited to the White House. Um, he met Bill Clinton, Colin Powell. He met football legends like Joe Montana. And his perseverance was really looked at as admirable because, you know, that seems like such an inspirational story. But in the end, he really only played a few seconds of college football and made one single tackle after thousands of hours of practicing. And the inspirational nature of this story actually is a mask for a more significant problem. There is this idea of overcoming our deficits in the fabric of our culture. You know, books, movies, folklore, they all have, you know, there's there's always this theme of the underdog who beats the one in a million odds. There's always this theme of celebrating the people who triumph over their lack of natural ability. And the result of stories like Rudy's is that we see that these heroes and we think of them as the epitome of the American dream. And we set our sights on conquering these major challenges. And this book calls that taking the path of most resistance. It's this idea of you can be anything you want if you try hard enough. And this book points out that we don't necessarily outgrow that thought process. They give an example of the star salesperson who wants to become a great sales manager. And they believe with enough effort that they be, they can become a great manager. So they, they go and have networking discussions with other managers to gain insight. They read books on management. They stay every, they stay late every night to try to excel, you know, at the expense of their family and sometimes even their health. And then they get the manager job, you know, and a few years into the job, they realize that they don't even have the natural talent to develop other people. So not only was that a waste of their time, but chances are they could have increased their contribution even more if they had stayed in the sales role. And unfortunately, most organizational hierarchies kind of force us into that belief. You know, instead of allowing for an entire career of progression within a specific role that fits our talents, you know, we naturally want to grow out of the role and into the manager position for that role. And the reality is the person who has always struggled with numbers is unlikely to be a great accountant. Even think about how Michael Jordan, who embodied the power and raw talent on, on a basketball court, he was not able to or he could not become, for example, the Michael Jordan of golf or baseball. No matter how hard he tried, his strengths were in basketball. He could be really great with practice and more time to practice, but he'll never have that raw talent that he had when he played basketball. So what Gallup's research really identified was that every individual has the greater potential for success in a specific area. And the key to human development is building on who you already are the skills that you already have, the strengths that you have, you already have. And it's not to say that those strengths are at peak optimized levels, but it'll be easier to work on a strength than it is to work from scratch on a weakness. And they, they write here that in many cases, 
Aligning yourself with the right task can be this easy. When we're able to put most of our energy into developing our natural talents, extraordinary room for growth exists. So a revision to the you can be anything you want to be maxim might be more accurate as you cannot be anything you want to be, but you can be a lot more of who you already are. So this book really puts it into words why it's so important to have an understanding of what your strengths are have an understanding of what your skill set is so that you can spend time working on those strengths and skills and that so you can align yourself to the type of work that allows you to use those skills and those strengths most of the time because that will lead to more satisfaction with your job that'll lead to more and being more engaged with your job and that'll lead to overall just more satisfaction with your life so i wanted to use this book as well as another skills assessment that I think is really popular. And I wanted to kind of describe myself a little bit through this this strength assessment, why I think it's so accurate and how I think it can be helpful to you guys. So in addition to the Clifton Strengths assessment, I also wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about the Myers-Briggs type indicator. And this is a personality assessment and it was created by Isabel Briggs Myers and Catherine Briggs. And it was based off of this psychological theory that was created or developed by C.G. Jung. And they wanted to take this personality inventory that C.G. Jung theorized and make it a little bit more understandable and useful in people's lives. The essence of C.G. Jung's theory is that variations in individuals' behavior that is seemingly random is actually quite orderly and consistent. And this is due to basic differences in the way individuals prefer to use their perception and judgment. It says here that perception involves all of the ways of becoming aware of things, people, happenings, or ideas. Judgment involves all the ways of coming to conclusion about what has been perceived. If people differ systematically in what they perceive and in how they reach conclusions, then it is only reasonable for them to differ correspondingly in their interests, reactions, values, motivations, and skills. So from C.G. Jung's initial theory, Isabel Briggs Myers and Catherine Briggs had two goals in the development and application of the Myers-Briggs type indicator. First goal is that they wanted to identify the basic preferences of each of four dichotomies that were specified or implicit in Jung's initial theory. And they wanted to identify and describe the 16 distinctive personality types that result from the interactions among the preferences. So there are four dichotomies that will help or that are the foundation for 16 different personality types. So the four dichotomies are your favorite world. So that is if you prefer to focus on the outer world or your inner world. So they call this extroversion or introversion. The second is information. Do you prefer to focus on the basic information you take in or do you prefer to interpret and add meaning? This is called sensing or intuition. Third one is decisions. When you make decisions, do you prefer to first look at the logic and consistency or first look at the people and special circumstances? This is called thinking or feeling. And the final one is structure. 
in dealing with the outside world, do you prefer to get things decided or do you prefer to stay open to new information and options? This is called judging or perceiving. So your personality type is essentially when you decide on your preferences in each category, you have your own, your own personality type, which can be expressed as a code with four letters. So to explain the four letters part, if you do, if you lean more towards extroversion or whether you lean more towards extroversion or introversion, you'll be an E or an I. Whether you lean more towards sensing or intuition, you'll be an S or an N. Whether you lean more towards thinking or feeling, you'll be a T or F. And whether you lean more towards judging or perceiving, you'll be a J or P. So you'll end up having four letters that make up your personality type. So in thinking about the Clifton Strengths Assessment and the Myers-Briggs, I found that the Myers-Briggs will kind of give you the why, like the who you are and the who and the why. So the who you are and why you do things the way that you do. And the Clifton Strengths Assessment will give you the what. So, you know, what your actual strengths are, what your skill sets are. For the most part, these should be aligned. So I will say every assessment that I have done, so I, I've done Myers-Briggs, of course, I've done the, the Clifton Strengths, but even the other ones that I've done, you know, through work, we've had some, the Big Five is another really popular one. All of mine are very aligned. They tell me the same things. And that is what, you know, that is what tells me that these things are accurate. And even to the point where, the Myers-Briggs assessment will pop out sometimes, you know, the kind of careers that you should be trying, that, that you would be very successful in the kind of careers that you should gravitate towards. And it's funny because literally the career that it said, like the first or second one is exactly what I do now. And it's exactly what I've been pursuing for the most part. So it's just really interesting, you know, how these have, have played out in my own life. So that's why I wanted to kind of bring you guys information and give you guys the resources to go and take your own self-assessment so you guys can start putting into words what your strengths are, what your skills are, and why you do the things that you do. So I was thinking about which, which one I would want to talk you guys through first, like which one of my assessments I'd want to talk you guys through first. And I think it makes a little bit more sense to talk you guys through my Myers-Briggs because that's the who I am and why I do the things I do and then I'll explain some of the strengths in my Clifton Strengths assessment and you guys will see that these are pretty consistent and for those of you guys who know me best or have seen me in a working capacity who have seen me in my university days you guys will know that these are very spot on. So like I said I have taken the Myers-Briggs in school like as a part of a class assignment and then I also retook it uh, when I started working and I got the same four letters both times. Like I mentioned, the Myers-Briggs is about $40. I think it's in that ballpark. But uh, one of my friends that I met in the office uh, pointed me to a website called 16personalities.com, which is essentially a free version of the exam or of the assessment. It's based off of the same science. And I did get the same letters as I got when I did the Myers-Briggs in school. So I think it can be trustworthy. And the 16 personalities one, it'll just give you um, just some details, some background about your personality trait. And the personality trait that I have is ENTJ. So the fun thing about 16 personalities is that you'll get like your 
personality type and they'll give you like this full rundown, but they have like different names for each of the personality types. So ENTJ is the commander personality. As I read on, you guys will understand that this is in fact myself. So just some popular commanders. Steve Jobs is a commander personality. Gordon Ramsay, Mark, Margaret Thatcher, Franklin D. Roosevelt, Jim Carrey, Whoopi Goldberg, Malcolm X, Harrison Ford, uh, Tony Soprano. So they give you some fictional characters. But that is is my personality type, the commander. Uh, a commander is someone who is extroverted, intuitive, thinking, and judging. So those were the four dichotomies that I explained. They are decisive people who love momentum and accomplishment. Keep that in mind. They gather information to construct their creative visions, but rarely hesitate for long before acting on them. So commanders are the natural born leaders. These people, uh, they have this personality type that embodies the gift of charisma and confidence and project authority in a way that draws crowds together behind a common goal. However, commanders are also characterized by an often ruthless level of rationality, using their drive, determination, and sharp minds to achieve whatever end they've set for themselves. Perhaps it is the best that they make up only 3% of the population, lest they overwhelm the more timid and sensitive personality types that make up much of the rest of the world. But we have commanders to thank for many of the business and institutions we take for granted every day. Y'all heard that. Commanders or ENTJs are one of the rarest personality types, especially among women. I think it was something like 2% among women are ENTJs. So <laughs> I feel like, you know, when, when you see some of the names like a Margaret Thatcher, like, you know, some of them might have a bad rep. And for the most part, like they said, we are very much leaders. We are very much, you know, natural born leaders. But sometimes that personality, you know, the other side of it is that we can overwhelm people who are a little bit quieter, people who are a little bit softer. I know I come off very strong and I usually have a very strong presence. Um, and I, I started to, to realize this when I was in a leadership position in college. So I was the president of our a National Association of Black Accountants on campus. And I, I, I have always been one. I've always been, you know, I've always been in leadership positions. Um, back in high school, I was a part of the Future Business Leaders of America. I was vice president and then president. And then it was my second semester of my freshman year, actually, where I, I joined the executive board of NABA. I think I was the vice president first. Yeah, not I think I was. And then I became president uh, for my sophomore, junior year. Um, I was reelected my senior year, but after my senior year, fall semester, I kind of passed it along. And I've always gravitated toward lead leadership positions. Um, I don't like being, you know, the executive board member. I like kind of being the head decision maker. And like they said, we are powerful business leaders. A lot of people have, you know, commented on my presence, the way I speak. It can be very charismatic, very confident. I'm a very confident communicator. And usually I thrive in like, you know, um, professional settings. It was it was funny during my first like month 
you know, when I was working at my current job, I was an analyst and I was introduced to this lady who sat a couple of seats, you know, to the left of me. So she was close enough to overhear me sometimes on my calls and someone introduced me to her like formally and they were like, yeah, she's a part of our, our, our newest analyst class. And the woman was like, oh my God, are you, you're an, I thought you were a VP. She's like, I literally overhear you on your calls. I, and I see like how you like walk in the room. You look like a, like a VP. So not to pat my own back, <laughs> but I do have that presence about me. I've, I've always been really good in a professional setting. And I've always aspired to be in a professional office setting. Um, definitely someone who, who has aspired to be in like a C-suite because I have the tools. So some other key things to know about commanders is that our happiness lies in the joy of achievement. Uh, we are usually, it's a little bit harder for us in, in like the emotional expression realm. Like that's not really our strong suit. Uh, we have this distance from our emotions, especially in the public. And, um, that's usually felt by the public as well. But in a professional environment, it says here, commanders will simply crush the sensitive sensitivities of those they view as inefficient, incompetent, or lazy. That sounds so mean. Um, but to people with the commander person type, personality type, emotional displays are displays of weakness, and it's easy to make enemies with this approach. That is horrible. It says here that commanders are true powerhouses, and they cultivate an image of being larger than life, and often enough, they are. That is crazy. Uh, they need to remember, though, that their stature comes not just from their own actions, but from the actions of the teams that prop them up. And it's important to recognize the contributions, talents and needs, especially from an emotional perspective of their support network. So that was a huge lesson that I learned from being the president of NABA. I started to really realize that my my team, the people who I worked with, the people who who were supporting me, um, or the people who were supporting this organization along with me were just as essential to me, even though I'm someone who's able to be a very strong decision maker and a very quick decision maker. The people that I need to fuel those decisions are putting in just as much work as I am. I also know distinctively, you know, in my time as president in school, there was times where I definitely came off as very intimidating to the rest of my executive board. And it took me a while to realize that people who don't talk like me or don't communicate like me, it doesn't mean that they're not like, you know, equally as prepared to lead an organization. People literally just have different different communication skills. There was this assessment that we took uh, as a part of my analyst training and I got the director one, which was the the leaders, but there were four different categories and I can't remember their names right now. One was like an analyzer, but there are people who literally need to take an information and sit on it. There are people who process a little bit differently and process in a more of a quiet way. And I remember one time we were in a, we were in one of our training sessions at work and I, I, we got asked like a question. It was like, it was like a, a leadership development training. And I like raised my hand and I was like, I always think that people who are not raising their hands or engaging in these events like I feel like they have nothing to say and I don't know if that came off rude but there's people who literally just take in information and sit with it and sit with it quietly I'm someone who takes in information processes it and uses it for decision making instantly I like to do that very fast so we are really good directors really good decision makers 
Um, but like they mentioned here, we also have like this ruthless level of rationality, ruthless level of drive and determination and sharp minds to achieve whatever end they've set for themselves. And I really want y'all to keep that one sentence in mind because it's very in line with uh, my Clifton Strengths assessment. So I'm going to talk about a couple of the strengths and weaknesses, and then I'm going to explain some of the career paths and how that's very in line with what I do now. And then I'm going to take it over to the Clifton Strengths to kind of explain the similarities between what I got for this personality assessment and what I got in the Clifton Strengths. So I'm going to read off some of the strengths and weaknesses. Don't think that you guys can use my weaknesses against me. Why? Because I have grown and developed. You know, my weaknesses at one point, they were definitely more of a weakness. But as I grew and then especially in my current job where my manager is, he has to be an ENTJ times two. He also is the director type. He also, you know, he has a lot of the same personality traits. So when it came to working with someone who was very similar in that way, we did butt heads. And I think I learned a lot of bit, a lot about my own communication style and how to better that. So we grow over here on this side. We are the fruit and the seed. We are whole, but we are still growing. So some of the strengths and weaknesses, the strengths are efficient energetic, self-confident, and strong-willed, strategic thinkers, um, charismatic and inspiring, but then some of the weaknesses are stubborn and dominant, intolerant, impatient, arrogant, and poor handling of emotions, cold and ruthless. It's funny because I I had, (laughs) I don't know, it's not TMI, it's my podcast, but one of my, the guys I used to date He used to talk about how I communicate in a very, like, I almost talked to him like we're in like a business meeting. I have, it's so hard for me to really have an emotional tone. Like I talk a very straightforward, very rational tone of voice, Um, especially like in in, out there in public with like people who I'm like less familiar with, especially, but it's, it's crazy how that even carries on into my personal relationships. So, you know, things we've worked on. And they say right here, commanders approach dating and relationships with a set of goals and a plan to achieve them. And like we are, um, we approach our romantic relationships with like a sense of rationality, with a sense of organization. It says the occasional ruthlessness with personal relationships is a commander's primary weakness. So, um, you know, I think that says what it needs to say (laughs) for itself. It says, as with most, as with most things, balance is key and commanders should strive to meet their partners halfway. Also, and when it comes to friendships and friendships, we seek personal growth and inspiration. And we also, we often have a plan for how to accomplish it. So friendships of circumstance built on things like shared routines are not my preferred method. Rather, we pursue their friends Um, We seek out individuals who share passions for deep, meaningful discussions and who enjoy learning and development as much as they do. Another thing to keep in mind that is also very consistent with with what's in my strength finders assessment, uh, the kind of type of personal relationships that I need are people who are really like thinkers, people who are passionate, people who have their own life goals and plans uh, are, are the people who I tend to gravitate towards and are the people who now I'm realizing are the people who I want to be more aligned with in my friendships. And then 
I'm going to skip right over to the uh, career paths because it says, uh, it's funny how they were very consistent with what I do now. What does it say? It says, it is in the world of careers that commanders boldness and drive are truly at their best. No other personality type is better suited than commanders to be the respect leader of an organization or team, and no other personality type enjoys it quite so much. So we're usually people who gravitate towards leadership positions. So one thing that I have read about ENTJs is that, especially when you're kind of just joining the workforce, it is very hard adjustment because a lot of jobs usually have to start off, you know, at the bottom or near the bottom. You start off as the analyst, as the associate. So it it, it was a huge, you know, learning experience for me to be going from college where I spent the entirety of my college career basically in leadership positions, really being a decision maker to now this role or function that I'm currently at where I started at as the analyst. And, you know, there's, there would be a lot of time between me being the analyst and me being a leader or a decision maker or a project leader. So definitely is a hard adjustment for the commanders. And that's what it says here as well. It says the only problem is, is it takes time for commander's skills to be recognized and stagnating at low level employees as low level employees will have them bouncing off the walls and deeply unhappy. People with commander personality type crave leadership and responsibility, growth and opportunity, and genuinely enjoy managing others to get the job done. So I work best when I'm either able to work independently and really own my work or when I'm able to lead or, you know, be, you know, the subject matter expert or be in charge of a project or a work. And like I said, when I started my role, especially starting as an analyst, it was hard, you know, to do that. There was virtually no opportunities to do that. And that did make me really unhappy in my career. As I've kind of grown and have gotten a little bit more comfortable in my career, the times that I do have work that I can do independently, I do really, really well. Or even the last project that, that I worked on, I joined the project to work or own one specific process that my team was familiar with. So I was on another team helping them with a process that my team is very familiar with. So on the team that I was working on, I was leading that process. And I did have, you know, one resource or an employee that I had working kind of with me. I was saying she's working under me um, that I was able to kind of lead in a way. So I did really strong on that project. And those are the projects that I usually feel way more, you know, happy in. So on a true, truity, I think it's called pronounced truity. Truity.com is, is a website that offers a bunch of different uh, personalities, tests, skills, assessments, and, you know, personality type indicators. And when I search up the top careers for ENTJ, they include the first one is accountant or auditor a budget analyst, claims adjuster, cost estimator, financial analyst, a financial manager, uh, operations research analyst, management consultant. Uh, then, of course, they have like the CEO or the management roles are top executive, um, promotions manager, advertising manager, property real estate or community associate manager, um, so they have kind of the different industries and the different roles that ENTJs would be successful in. I will say I went to school for accounting. I definitely did. And I do work in a career field. I'm not going to say exactly what I do. I don't know if I should or should not. I don't really care. But um, 
I work in a field that is derivative of accounting or kind of derivative of of the uh, fields that you can do with an accounting degree. So like I said, very on brand, very, uh, very consistent. And, and then, like I said, in terms of management, we do, you know, gravitate towards leadership roles and we do make good top executives. And, you know, that is kind of like my career goal, my aspirations, really wanting to make it to that C-suite or really just be a leader in an organization that I'm working in. So with that in mind, I'm going to switch gears a little bit to the Clifton Strengths Assessment and really explain to you guys um, how consistent this Myers Briggs is with my Clifton Strengths. So, like I said, Clifton Strengths is a strengths assessment, and you purchase this book. So, I'll have the book uh, down in the show notes for you guys. It's called Strength Finders 2.0 from Gallup and Tom Rath. And you buy the book and it comes with a code that you go online and you take this assessment and then you take the assessment. They'll tell you your top five strengths and then you go into the book and you read about your top five strengths. So from my assessment that I took, uh, I think I took this assessment now two years ago, maybe a year and a half ago. So my top five strengths are focus, intellection, relator, restorative and achiever. So the book is written and and they list out the strengths in ABC order. There's 34 total like themes or strengths. And I'm just going to go through a couple of the lines and draw the similarities between my 16 personalities and my Clifton strengths assessment. Like I said, I took the Myers-Briggs once in college and then I took it shortly after I started working. So 2018-ish. And then I took this Clifton Strengths around the same time, uh, 2018, 2019, maybe like a year, half, year and a half ago. So the first one that I got was an achiever. So your achiever themes help explain your drive. Achiever describes a constant need for achievement. You feel as if every day starts at zero. By the end of the day, you must achieve something tangible in order to feel good about yourself. Now, if you remember from my Myers-Briggs assessment, it literally says in the introduction, happiness lies in the joy of achievement. So very consistent. We love to achieve. We love the challenge that will allow us to achieve. And we welcome those challenges as well. Continuing on. uh, So how I should probably explain the strengths assessment book is is organized by they'll give you the strength or the theme. And then they'll tell you what it sounds like. So they'll give you scenarios about a person who is also an achiever and what they would sound like. And then it'll give you ideas for action. And then it'll give you working with others who have that same theme. So that's just kind of how it's structured and how it's organized. So another thing that I thought was very interesting and very um, in line with me and my personality is that uh, people recognize that people with achiever, the achiever theme like to be busy sitting in meetings is likely to be very boring for them so only invite them to meetings where you really need them and where they can be fully engaged if they don't need to be at the meeting let them get their work done instead and in the myers-briggs assessment the 16 personalities uh introduction they give a quote by steve jobs and it says your time is limited so don't waste it living in someone else's life 
And I think that's very consistent in terms of we really have this streamlined way of thinking, the streamlined way of living. We don't like the fluff. We don't like um, information that is not necessary for us and for our end goal. It also says here that you should establish a relationship with achievers by working alongside them. Working hard together is often a bonding experience for them. They are annoyed by slackers. And if I go into my Myers-Briggs assessment, it says structure and order are key. And if someone gets sloppy or holds things back with incompetence, laziness, or efficiency, commanders will not hesitate to come down hard. So in a work setting, in a group setting, uh, I... If, especially if it's something that I, I'm really enjoying, I'm really engaged in the work, I'm a, I work very, very hard and I don't like to work around people who seem incompetent, who seem lazy. Um, but this kind of speaks a little bit into like what I was saying about my Myers-Briggs where we have this like ruthless way of working sometimes and sometimes relate, we have to be, pay more attention to our relationships and the people who are supporting us in the work that we're doing. So like I said, very, very consistent. So my second strength in my uh, Clifton strengths is called focus. And it says here, uh, it's the, where am I headed? You ask yourself, you ask this question every day, guided by this theme of focus, you need a clear destination lacking one, your life and your work can quickly become frustrating. So kind of very, kind of consistent with the achiever, very streamlined way of thinking, uh, consistent with, um, with that quote that I was saying by Steve Jobs, who's an ENTJ, don't be trapped by dogma, which is living with the results of other people's thinking. Don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your own inner voice. And most important, have the courage to follow your heart and intuition. They somehow already know what you truly want to become. Everything else is secondary. It kind of describes a very streamlined way of focus, of focusing and streamlined way of achieving in a way. And yeah, I think this one is very uh, consistent. Uh, our focus reminds everyone that if something is not helping you move toward your destination, then it is not important, is something else that this book says. And it says here, seek roles in which you can function independently. So how I was, how I was talking about in my role, the work that I do now, I'm way more happy when I'm working by myself um, if I'm not able to work in a leadership capacity just yet because I'm still an associate. I love getting the opportunity to just work for, by myself own the whole process independently. So that is a another very consistent strength of mine. It also says here, be aware that unstructured meetings will bother people with focus. So like I said, for my Myers-Briggs and in my achiever personality type, we really enjoyed structure in our work life. We really, enjoy, not even just in our work life, we enjoy structure in everything. I think um, it really goes to show kind of like how I like to communicate with people, even my friends. Like I'm not really that much of a fluff person. I'm not someone who likes to just I'm really not someone who likes to just get on the phone. I think people people know that about me. Like uh, just someone calling me up to just say like, hey. And it's like just uh, starting a random conversation. I'm not really good at that. I would much rather someone be like, hey, I need to call you to talk about X, Y, and Z. When are you free? Or, or that's more so how I would approach a conversation. I actually saw this tweet going around on Twitter the other day. And someone was saying, oh, you know, they hate when people just text them out of the blue and just go straight to the question. And they're like, well, why aren't you gonna say, hey, how are you? And I was like, wow, I'm the exact opposite. 
I hate when someone just texts me out of the blue and it's just like this, how are you? It's like, okay, what's the question? What do you need so we can start having the conversation that'll get you there? So if you ever just text me, um, don't be afraid to just text me and just start with the question, lead with the question. Um, I really don't like the fluff at all. Oh, but yeah, no, I'm trying to pay more attention to my relationships. Lord, God willing, I'm trying, I'm getting there. So my next strength is uh, called intellection. And this one I really enjoy. I thought it was very consistent with my person, my personal um, view of myself. So people with this strength, we like to think. You like mental activity. You like exercising the muscles of your brain, stretching them in multiple directions. This need for mental activity may be focused, for example, trying to solve a specific problem or develop an understanding of another person's feeling, but the exact focus will depend on other strengths. So we just like to think in general. We're very introspective. Also, something that I want to note here is that the in the section that's like what an intellection strength sounds like, the the person that they quote here set is saying, I suppose that most people who meet me in passing presume that I am a flaming extrovert. I do not deny the fact that I love people, but the way they would be amazed to know how much time alone. I need and how much solitude I need in order to function in public. And I think that is huge because like I said, I am an ENTJ, which means I lean more towards extroversion. And it's not to say that I'm not extroverted. Like if you were to see me in a conference setting, like a network setting or a work setting, I 100% come off as a very charismatic and confident speaker. And I am good at that. But it's not like my natural default setting in a way. And in order for me to be that, I literally need to like rest. Like even in college, I remember when we would have conferences or events, if I would bur- I would burn out. Like I would literally burn out and not leave my room like after the event for like a week. And um, that would be me doing like the recharge. So we do, we are perceived as extroverts a lot of the times, but we do need time to like, to refuel and to kind of, you know, build up that public appearance. Also, when it came to talking about uh, friendships, it said, uh, what did it say here? Uh, We pursue, uh, we seek out individuals who share the passion for deep, meaningful discussions and enjoy learning and development as much as we do. So that's kind of consistent here where we just love, uh, we just love big thinkers. We enjoy the idea of thinking. We enjoy having bigger conversations. Most people will know is that I'm really, I don't tend um, or lean towards small talk. I, I'm not someone who, who, who likes to just do small talk for no reason. I like to have really meaningful conversations no matter what the setting is. So so another interesting, uh, you know, um, what an intellection sounds like, it says, it's strange, but I find that I need to have noise around me or I can't concentrate. I need to have parts of my brain occupied. Otherwise, it goes so fast in so many directions that I don't get anything done. And that is is huge for me. I talk about it all the time. 
I need background noise. I need white noise. I need something in the back. Even if I'm having a conversation, like I need background noise. My television usually runs throughout the day. My television usually runs 24 seven. Even if I'm going to sleep, I have my television even on like a low volume. And even when I'm working, I have my television on and it's literally helps me focus because if I don't have it on, my mind is like just shooting off different thoughts. So I need to have part of my brain occupied even in like a subconscious way so I can focus on the work in front of me. So I, that's something that I talk about all the time because even I was with a group of friends uh, at one of my friend's house and we were like in a group setting, like having conversation and they turned the television off while we were having the conversation. I hated that. Like I, it was like bugging me out and I almost felt like I started talking more because it was like there was like so much going through my brain. So uh, just another fun fact about people who are in the intellection strength or theme category. It says here, consider beginning or continuing your studies in philosophy, literature, or psychology. You will always enjoy the subjects that simulate your thinking. So, you know, I like to read, <laughs> you know, books are a really big part of my day to day. Um, I really enjoy like, you know, whether it's a fiction book or a book for my personal professional development. I just love my my thinking to be stimulated. Uh, they also say that we're someone who should list our ideas in a log or diary and I am very keen to um, journaling. And it says deliberately build relationships with people you consider to be big thinkers. Their examples will inspire you to focus on your own thinking. And it says right here in the Myers-Briggs assessment, it says we pers we seek out individuals who share our passion for deep, meaningful discussions and who enjoy learning and development as much as we do. So I'm literally looking at my microphone like that Oprah meme where it's like this is literally just just it. It's so consistent. So that is the intellection strength. So my fourth strength is a relator. And this describes my attitude towards relationships. In simple terms, the relator theme pulls you toward people you already know. It says you are comfortable with intimacy and once the initial connection has been made, you deliberately encourage a deepening of the relationship. You want to understand their feelings, their goals, their fears, their dreams, and you want them to understand yours. So kind of like how I mentioned, it's, it's always easy for me to start relationships or build rapport with people because of my I really do avoid small talk and I'm really always you know really deliberately trying to encourage deepening conversations I really enjoy relationships that are just I would rather have a smaller amount of very deep relationships than a lot of just like on the surface relationships where we can't really talk about things so very early on in my relationships with people I will try to like deepen our conversations really push the boundaries of what we're talking about um and, and the kind of discussions that we're having um, that has been the con. It says here, I have many wonderful acquaintances, but as for true friends that I hold dear, not very many. That's what a, um, a relator might sound like. And yeah, that's what I consider. I consider to have, you know, people who are acquaintances, but I do have very, very, very few real friends. Uh, that kind of speaks a little bit to my relator personality trait. And the final one is restorative. So, we are problem solvers. You love to solve problems, 
whereas some are dismayed when they account they encounter yet another breakdown you can be energized by it you enjoy the challenge of analyzing the symptoms identifying what is wrong and finding the solution so we are problem solvers people that have this strength we enjoy bringing things back to life um, it is a, a wonderful feeling to identify the undermining factors, eradicate them, and restore something to its true glory. And I think that's very aligned with what our strengths are in my Myers-Briggs. It says here for my Myers-Briggs introduction, it says if there's anything commanders love, it's a good challenge, big or small, and they firmly believe that given enough time and resources, they can achieve any goals. Uh, we have this ability to think strategically and we have we are able to hold long term focus like my focus strength while executing each steps of their plans with determination and precision. So that's also another thing that makes us very strong business leaders are uh, our, our strategic thinking and our problem solving nature. So we like to really assess, you know, um, like they said, identify undermining factors, er eradicating them, restoring them to its true glory. We can really pick something out by its component part, components parts, and we do that for problem solving and for decision making. I also think this restorative strength is very consistent with the job I do now where my job is literally to be able to pick a, a to assess a business process to pick it, you know, pick it apart by its component parts or controls and identify any control gaps that will give way to any risks and help develop action plans to mitigate those risks. On the very high level, that is what my job is. So very uh, restorative in nature. So those were my five strengths, focus, intellection, relator, restorative, and achiever. And I had a really enjoyed kind of cross-referencing between the strength assessment and my Myers-Briggs. Uh, it was really fun and I, like I said, very consistent. I think they paint a very similar picture and, you know, even use some of the same verbiage. So like I said, these strengths and skills assessments are really, really great when it comes to putting your skill sets into words. And it's not to say that by knowing my strengths, you know, that I have now became some elevated and perfect human being. Like I said, your strengths will give way to weaknesses in general, but because they're your strengths, it'll be easier to work and build upon them than it would be to go and pick something, you know, random that is a huge weakness for you and start to try to build from, from scratch. I'm someone who, like I said, um, from my Myers-Briggs, I gravitate towards leadership positions. I'm someone who is more of a decision maker. And sometimes that personality trait is... Um, comes with a very ruthless way of communicating, especially in like a work setting. And it would be easier for me to learn how to become a better leader through learning how to communicate better and in, in, as an achiever than it would be for me to, you know, put myself in the shoes or try to become the person who sits back and doesn't do the decision making, you know, like my skill set is still the decision making. I just need to be able to make those decisions by incorporating my team and my support better than not making decisions at all. So these are just the, the many ways that you can kind of look at your strengths and your skill sets. And like I said, it's just so helpful for painting that picture of you. I've, you know, used certain verbiage or, you know, ideals from my strengths finders assessment 
and my Myers-Briggs to formulate my cover letter. I've been able to really be a very confident when it comes to speaking myself up or talking myself up in interview settings and conference settings. And it's just been overall very, very helpful in terms of my idea of myself. So you can get the Strength Finders book. It's called Strength Finders 2.0 from Gallup and Tom Rath discover your Clifton strength. So you can find this on Amazon. It's about $16 and it comes with the code that you use to take on, you take the assessment online and it'll give you your five strengths. It also comes with a bunch of other resources. Like it doesn't just have, um, it doesn't just kind of give you your strengths and, you know, sends you off with them. This website, the website will also give you like, um, personalized strength discovery and action planning guide for applying your strengths in whether it be a week, a month, or a year. You can get a more customized version of your top five strengths report and it'll give you 50 ideas for action or 10 strategies for building on each of your top five themes. So the website is actually really interactive and comes with a lot of different tools and resources and same for 16 personalities. So that's 16personalities.com is where you can take the free version of the Myers-Briggs test. And it comes with a lot of different resources that you can use to now take these understandings or take this personality trait and build on it. You can learn how to use your strengths to unlock your your potential, to avoid common pitfalls, while also really just staying true to who you are. And I really want to emphasize that that is the goal, being true to who you are. Because like they said in the Clifton Strengths book, you cannot be anything you want to be, but you can be a lot more of who you already are. The goal is authenticity always. You'll never be able to be exactly like the next guy because you have to go and go in and use your strengths to be the best you. I find that a lot of people will come and ask me for advice, you know, whether it was in college or now in terms of career and professional development. And I can only provide so much advice because I'm only looking out of my perspective, the kind of decisions that I'd make, the kind of confidence I would have to, you know, reach out to certain people and have certain conversations. I can only give that kind of advice and not everyone is like me. So when I suggest books like this, it's really because I can only provide advice and resources so far. At some point, you have to pick up on the kind of person that you are. You have to scale the, the advice that I'm giving you to the type of person that you are. So an amazing book, an amazing uh, model for understanding your own strengths and similar for the Myers-Briggs, amazing, you know, theory or psychological theory to understand why and who you are. So I really suggest these books. Like I said, these resources will be down below where to pick up the book, uh, the Strength Finders book and where to take the Myers-Briggs exam. Like I mentioned, the Myers-Briggs exam is like 40-ish dollars, but you can do it for free through 16personalities.com and it's based on the exact same science and I've done it both the Myers-Briggs official one and 16 personalities and I got the same results. So I really hope that on top of you guys seeking out your own skills and your own strengths that you guys kind of know me a little bit better, kind of know your hosts a little bit better. And I just thought this was really fun. So let me know what your strengths are. Let me know what your Myers-Briggs letters are. I would love to hear from you guys. And I hope you guys really take these resources and use them to become your greatest selves. And thank you guys. 
I'm really excited for season two. Like I said, we have a lot of great content coming and I can't wait for you guys to hear about it. Can't wait, wait for you guys to read some of these books we're getting into this season. And it's been real. So thanks, guys. Bye, 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 bye.